0: Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven VC firm, and this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we de-dive all topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. This episode is about the future of the music industry, and it is with some incredibly smart and brash and loud friends of mine for many years, Parker Thompson, aka Startup L. Jackson, List. Aston Motes, first employee at Dropbox and now United Masters, and the always last but not least, Ed Ayton, founder of Merch Bar. That is MerchBar.com, buy merch. We talk about music and regulation, copyright, music and crypto. We talk about the future of record labels, the future of music tech services, how artists will build audiences, make money, and what the future of the music business will look like 5 to 10 years from now. All right, here's Aston, Parker, and Ed.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there's a world in which new technology can help music, but I don't think blockchain is it. I actually have a blog post specifically on blockchain will not save the music industry, and I believed it when I wrote it a couple years ago, and I believe it more now. It's difficult to see a situation where the blockchain actually helps because most of the problems in music are about people. It's about uh, certain parties cooperating or not cooperating it's about fans wanting to pay money or not wanting to pay money Uh, these things don't really get solved directly by blockchain they get solved by cultural movements maybe Mm -hmm. or by you know just better product work which i think blockchain could help with but not directly
2: yeah i think that's right i mean the, the only thing i would add to that is like when you think about how people are trying to apply blockchain which very specifically is digital scarcity right like I think people have been trying to do that for 20 years, right? That was the whole DRM movement. We realized actually that wasn't that useful. Now we're just trying to redo that. And it's sort of fighting against the natural technology, right? Like these are zero marginal cost goods. Like trying to undo that is somewhat silly. And to Aston's point, it's like, look, like actually really if you want to make money, go figure out how to monetize this stuff in a way that customers want. As opposed to trying to
1: like bludgeon them into paying money. There's a big part of it too. Which about microtransactions? Like, oh, maybe it's that like music costs too much, and if we just make it really, really cheap, like that'll make it really easy to pay for. But actually, uh, the cheaper you make it, the harder you make it to pay for. There's this huge gap between zero and one. Whether one is one dollar, one cent, one micro penny, uh, which is how I get charged for one of my services I use. Um, and basically, the decision to pay is a big one, and you don't really get rid of that by making the price lower. In fact. Uh, if you ask the random person on the street how much is, um, you know, fifteen seconds of a song worth, or uh, the first paragraph of a New York Times article, they're like, "I have no clue." Is it worth right. a penny? I don't know. Maybe is it worth a thousandth of a penny? Sure. And so this decision to try to um, ask people to pay even small amounts is completely broken.
0: But even if you just ask them once, people talk about the overhead cost of continuing to, you know, pay, do micro But if you ask them once, hey, would you be willing to pay, you know? Forty cents. Like every time you read this, people would, are not going to go for people, that.
1: People much prefer the Spotify model, which is pay a flat amount every month and set and forget it. And that doesn't involve any blockchain whatsoever. It's actually really easy to charge that with Stripe. Yeah.
0: guys. There's a lot we want to get into uh, on the specifics on the individual level, but I want to start high level. And I want to jump
3: in on blockchain. Jump in. So we got into we got into talking about how you know pricing and things like that. I think that the challenge with blockchain and music is the same with blockchain in general, is there's a lot of people that use blockchain as an excuse to, like, suspend gravity and, like, imagine a world that plays by rules different than the one the world plays by. And I think a lot of the blockchain startups that I see are, like, imagine if blah, 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 crazy random idea. Blockchain can do that. And I think that, like, If there's one industry that requires you to deal with reality that will aggressively and repeatedly confront you with where it is and what it will and will not do, that's the music industry. So I would like to be very specific. If there's a specific problem that you're trying to solve with blockchain, I hope you have a very deep understanding of the fundamental advantages that blockchain has and how this actually helps. Because I think most people and most startups that I see that are trying to use blockchain in the music industry are just using it as kind of a shortcut to get around what the actual right like, there is. And but it won't actually happen. So what I hear Ed saying is you are more
2: likely to disrupt Google or Amazon or Facebook <laughs> mm-hmm. than a record
0: label. But say more about that. Cause we're talking about the music industry as though it's like healthcare or something. Like, but it's not, I mean, So why compl- isn't it healthcare? <laughs> no, but, uh, Cause healthcare is highly regulated. I mean, so complicated.
2: Know, music is the most regulated industry in America. What? It is absolutely
1: the most regulated industry in America. Why?
3: This
2: is we brought
1: Parker. Yeah. Well, so, so, I mean, I, I don't 100% agree with Parker, but it is it is crazy the ways that the U.S. government has gotten involved in music. So one thing a lot of people don't know is uh, Pandora pays a fixed amount per play on their radio service. Why? Because Congress decided decades ago that they were going to price radio. What? Yeah. So I- imagine going into an industry and saying, we're, we're going to try to, like, you know, undercut that. And you're just like, well... That's what it costs you can, to run a radio yeah. service. And in fact, um, Apple and Google, who don't need to make money on music, yeah. but for
2: whom music is strategic, are actually lobbying the government to make them pay more because they don't give a crap, right? Like they, they would love for Spotify and Pandora and everybody else to not have viable business models so that they can use music as a loss leader for their other products. And they're doing that all through direct government Lobbying, as opposed to through competing in the marketplace, right? And all of this is um, having to do with government-issued monopolies yep. around copyright. So mm-hmm. I would submit that music, or more broadly, media, is the most highly regulated um, uh, sector of the economy. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's not saving people's lives, it's just... It's Taylor Swift, I mean, it seems... I mean,
2: ridiculous. maybe it's, you know, for <laughs> right. a 14-year-old me, man. There right. was some music that, uh,
1: <laughs> that made a good day. Um The thing to remember, too, is, like, context. Like, why is it this way? It's because... So everyone now thinks about the internet as this, like, world changer, but actually the internet is kind of incremental when you go back and look at what uh, telecommunications did right. at the turn of the century. And so, uh, essentially, the government realized, like, hey, if we give this one company, AT&T, Access to the entire country for for telephones, we've got to do something to make sure that these guys just don't like they don't run away with all industry, right? And that was the beginning of this bargain between the federal government and these very big uh, infrastructure esque tech companies. And AT&T is kind of the, the biggest first one. And a lot of regulations we see in music came from regulations that um, you know we also saw around TV, which came from radio, which came from a workaround in some ways from from like these uh, physical lines that AT&T had laid and like all of it goes back to the government being really afraid that these media companies quote unquote were actually going to be the dominant technological forces and they needed to like restrain it and so a lot of the laws we have even though the music industry now I mean it's tiny like Facebook probably does in one quarter more profit than the whole music industry does in revenue Um, but a lot of laws are left over from that time period. Well, so I think that's actually not right in that, like, if you look at
2: telecom, those are natural monopolies, right? Like, you only need one line running to your house. So it makes sense to sort of say, well, let's let there be a monopoly and then heavily regulate. My understanding um, of the history of copyright is, you know, you ended up with um, publishers saying, hey, look, like, now that you can have sheet music and a player piano, I can buy the sheet music once and then just Play it everywhere, right? That's the first pirating, right? Yeah. And yeah. so the publishers go to the government and say, "Actually, this is the opposite of a natural monopoly, right? Once I print something, once um, anybody can do anything they want with it, and that doesn't feel right. How am I going to make a living? Pass a law that makes them pay me, grant me a monopoly, an unnatural monopoly. So where telecoms are natural, these are decidedly unnatural. And I think that's the friction that we see in the internet today. Is right, the internet wants information to be free." And the government wants there to be these monopolies which allow these owners, granted owners of these things, the ability to extract whatever profits they want.
3: Yeah. So I think your ears should perk up whenever you hear someone talking about multiple monopolies in the same industry, (laughs) because that means that it's not a monopoly, right? I mean, the music industry is actually super competitive right now. You have three majors that are all within, uh, you know, within an order of magnitude of each other, at least probably even closer. You have upstarts like Cobalt that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year. You have Distributors like Spotify, Apple, that are changing the game, I, I I just don't see any evidence that there's actually a
1: monopoly that's being uh, that's being
3: pushed on us by the government here. Parker. Parker,
1: Parker means monopoly in the broader sense around copyright, and I think, like, it, it, technically he's correct, which is the best kind no, of look. correct. <laughs> no, look, let me make the case for it, right? When Spotify wants to
2: run its business in America, right, Spotify has to go to the labels and say, please, may I operate? Because if I don't have any of them, I I don't have a functional business, right? I just cannot operate a streaming music service without the permission of these three major labels because I need the back catalog. And so they say to these guys, great, you can run your business. But here's the deal is we're going to take every single cent of profit that you make for the rest of your existence. So you can run your business. You just can't have a good business. This is why Spotify is a terrible business. And why Apple and Google, people who don't need to make money in this business, are the ones that are ultimately going to win.
3: Whoa. Okay. So <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we we can talk about that for sure. But I think one of the things that you have to remember that makes music unique and entirely different is that each artist is in of themselves. We're just going to like throw the word monopoly around. Is there? They have a monopoly on their fans. Every artist. The thing about music is it is not replaceable. Like I can't. The, the next best surrogate. Is usually not like twenty five percent as good. Like true. let's say yeah, I, yeah. I want I can second. get Reeboks. Yeah, that's fine, cool. But like, if you like the Beatles, I can't ship you Oasis, and you're cool with it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but they're both like pseudo psychedelic British rockers. And you're know, like, that. <laughs> no, that is not the same.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, I think that's the de- that's what drives this dynamic, right? Like, you need what is it, Sony so or Imi who owns the Beatles? I don't, I don't know. You got, you know. Uh, You need the Beatles, so you got to go and say,
3: "Please, sir, may I have the Beatles?"
2: You know, (laughs) and they say, "Yeah, I'm going to take your company." So, what
3: what are you proposing? That just anyone can have the Beatles? Like Beatles for everyone? Well, so what is this?
2: We can talk about the way the world should be.
0: Yeah, let's let's first talk about what's what's uh, broken currently, and then I want to get to what's the future
1: well i I have to step in here and say what's working first <laughs> off, which is Please. copyright is working, and I, w- I just want to make a like a, a positive argument for copyright, which right. is fundamentally like all of these companies we're talking about would not have businesses if if Beatles were for everyone right and and the idea of the government giving out like uh, kind of this ability for someone to own something and then sell a license to it is not just in music it's not just in media it's this, it's similar to, like, we're, hey, we're in an office space that's, like, rented, right, on land that even the people who own the building might not own, right? So this idea that the government says, yes, you can have it, and then you can make money selling outfits and pieces of it to other people is fundamental to capitalism. And I think copyright seems, no, it seems a little that's, weird. Yes. It seems a little weird, but that's, but that's what it is, right? The, that's how we created these businesses, is that the government says, you know what? If you're the first people to record The Beatles... You get to keep it until you sell it to somebody else. But, Parker, do you believe no, there should be no copyright, that, or do you believe just limited? That is version of the world where you need to beg the government for the
2: right to have a business. That's a terrible world to live in. I'll tell you why I think copyright is, is broken, um, and I'll, I'll put it this way, right? Because I think that there's a – we talked about the positives, and there are some positives. But I go through I, – I think about the world being broken in this way, the, music, the world of music being broken in this way like when a 15-year-old in a hackathon can come up with a way better product than exists in the market, it's not legal, but they can make something in a hackathon in a weekend that delivers you a much better experience, right? Um, that's a broken industry, right? Like the problems are not that we aren't innovating fast enough and as we innovate, we're going to get better products, right? Innovation in the industry is limited by this regulation. And I think when we talk about copyright being life plus 70, right? Um there's an argument to be made that there should be some copyright, some term of copyright. Um, but if our goal is to see as much art created as possible, and also consumed, by the way, which is the original motivation of copyright, if our goal is to see art created and consumed, um, then I think there's a really good case to be made that life plus 70 is just really broken. Um, because I think when you look at um, the revenue that it creates and where that goes, and, and do, is that too much incentive, could we do it with less, right? Could we get we've gotten the Beatles to make art with less copyright going to Sony or EMI, or wherever it is, right? I think the answer is probably yes. So I might be an extremist personally, but I'm not going to take the extremist position because I think it's more interesting to think about what it might look like if we had copyright that was like patents, right? Yep. Maybe 15 years, 20 years, whatever it
1: is. Yeah, I'm with you on shorter copyright terms, and I think... Um, in particular, I'm sensitive to it because I like listening to hip hop, where <laughs> uh, it thrives on this on this resampling or yeah, interpolation is... of, of old stuff. And to see to see a situation like, uh, you know, as much as I love Marvin Gaye, to see the the Gay Estate go after uh, Pharrell and, uh, for for a beat that Pharrell made that is only reminiscent, really, it's <laughs> yeah. reminiscent it's of a, right. a Marvin Gaye song, uh, and, and they prevailed in that case. And and it's like. Well, this is a situation where they didn't even use copyright law, really. It's just this threat that right. like, copyright law could be applied in this thing where the music was written 30 plus years ago and maybe like today we use the piece of it. So yeah, shorter terms, I'm with you. Um, but I do, I do really like that copyright exists and I, I, strug- I have thought about it for a while. I've struggled to find a situation. I know you're not arguing for this maximalist situation, but I've struggled to find a way to make no copyright work. To the benefit of artists and that's ultimately well, yeah, let, who gets paid for it let's it's, not forget it's I mean, we
3: have we have 20 years now where distribution has been free we've had creative commons licenses if, if artists want to do what you're proposing they can they can go put their music up on a website license it the creative commons and create you know, more I'm, music
2: i'm going to go I back mean, to what you said
3: yeah you've got to deal with the reality of the industry
2: and when the labels control the relationships with these spotify's of the world and radio i think terrestrial radio actually still matters you might have an opinion on this um, it's not as simple as just saying distribution is free and it's i would also not argue that the labels provide zero value i do think they're evil but i don't think that they're useless um so in that world right you can't just say i'm going to throw up a creative commons license and there may be some exceptions but they're exceptional because it's really hard Um, I thought where you were going to go with the hip-hop thing was you can cover any song you want once it's put out there, right? But you can't actually sample, right? And this is another example of the government saying, hey, that thing that, like, white people have been doing forever is cool. This thing that, you know, black people are doing over here, we're just not cool with that. You guys, we don't actually care if your business is easy. Like, that art, like, that, I think, is a great example of a whole set of art that just can't be made today, because the government has
1: structured the law such that you just can't do this thing. it's cost prohibitive. Well, they definitely can do it. Uh, and they do do it a lot. and it is it is cost prohibitive. The thing that makes it cool for me is that a lot of times these like black rappers are sampling like black soul singers from the past. And like I do like this idea where like if Stevie Wonder does a great song that Frank Ocean wants to cover and sample, and by the way, it's great, you guys should listen to closer. Mm-hmm. But if he wants to do it, he just pays Stevie Wonder. And like it's not really Frank paying Stevie Wonder, it's Frank's label. And and like the label's getting paid because the fans pay and the fans pay because of copyright. right? And ultimately all of this money is flowing to people who make great art over time. And, the, and really what I'm saying is that I'll grant you that life plus 70 years is maybe a little bit long, but I think it's life is totally reasonable. Like, as long as Stevie Wonder's live, I want that dude getting checks for every time <laughs> someone samples a,
2: him. What do you think about a compulsory license for sampling? Like, I have a compulsory license for covers, right?
0: Like, yeah. why not? Let's get into labels soon. We're getting in the weeds. Right, you, can answer, right. you can answer the yeah, question. No, I don't.
1: Think, no, no, idea. no. But I, I agree, though. Uh, compulsory license for sampling is pretty interesting idea. It, it would look like the same type of government regulation that you argued against a little <laughs> bit ago. Um, but I do think it would facilitate a lot of people in rap.
0: Let's talk about record labels. You can't talk about.
1: Hang on one second. But it also takes. <laughs> it, it also
3: removes the artist from being in control of their work. Now you can have. You, you create a product that is a gospel song, and now it is in some like Norwegian death metal we, stuff. We, we, we already have that.
2: that. I can cover your song, and I, you do not want me to cover your
3: song. You can cover it, but you can't take my voice. And that's one of the reasons why, like, performance is important. You can't take my voice. If, if I own it or my label owns it or I've done a deal with someone, your voice is protected.
2: Look, man, if I'm, like, I got my, like, white supremacist group and I'm, like, I'm going to take your song. Your, I'm going to make it the Pepe of music, right? And I'm not taking your voice, but I can cover that thing and play it all day long, right? Now, your song is a Nazi song. I guess I didn't take your voice, but I took your baby, right? I, I guess I did see that as a distinction without a difference.
0: Okay. Let's talk about labels. Uh, you can't talk about the future of music industry without, without talking about labels. A lot of people think that uh, labels don't add any value and they're evil. Uh, you, know, you hear Chance the Rapper going independent. You hear Macklemore going independent. A lot of artists want to be independent. Um, Aston and Ed actually think that labels provide a lot of value and will continue to exist as they currently do. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah, those two statements we can separate. The second part is really easy. Like, will labels exist? The answer is yes. And it's one word, catalog. Right. <laughs> so if you don't understand kind of how the music business works, there's a bunch of different pieces of it. But one of the more lucrative pieces is is what they call catalog, which is to say it's the bank of music that they own the copyrights right. to.
0: Making money off old music. They
1: don't have to pay for it anymore. It just sits and the, and the checks come in. Someone decides to use, uh, you know, a track on a commercial, they get paid for that. Rock. A beautiful, Ford. beautiful, Ford. yeah.
0: So, can someone compete or, with UMG today? Like, can a so new upstart uh, on
1: on catalog? It's on very catalog. different. Um, it's very difficult, but uh, yeah. I mean, Cobalt actually just raised a huge fund specifically to go buy up a bunch of catalog. And if you want it to be a a legit player in the major label space, you're going to need catalog.
0: So, if us for today, we're starting a new major label. We want to compete with the big three. What would we do? We'd go buy a huge catalog.
1: <laughs> well, to be honest, like the second part of what major labels do is they have lots of new artists, and that's what people think of as a business, and that's the part that gives you prestige. So, you know, we would only be starting the label because we want to be media mobile. So we would concentrate on, on <laughs> Some, that. <side>. Yeah. <laughs>
0: as we, opposed to make money, is we, that what you <laughs>
1: Right. Well, because the cash flow part of it, it's like if I want to get paid, I'm a software engineer, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, for if you were like building a business and you intended to keep it around for a while, catalogs is really going to be. But UMG is
0: like $30 billion. Business, right? I mean, yeah. So you can make money running a label. Oh,
1: no, that's catalog, right? <laughs> uh, a good chunk of its catalog. But the thing to remember too is catalog comes from new artists, right? So if you if you think about these things, uh, very few people in music probably think about these things <laughs> in like a forty year cycle. But if you think about it in a forty year cycle, the like Rihanna's of today that feel like st- like maybe you know newish mid career yep. are the people forty years from now that are like all catalog business and just yeah, that's your new Elvis and you got to make them like they right. they don't they don't just appear out of nowhere like 50 years from now there's not like somebody who you never heard of right it's somebody who's who's big today so yeah i mean uh, fundamentally uh they will be around so long as catalog matters and the only way it won't matter is if what parker says happens which is we take away Copyright from people, which is never going to happen. <laughs> or, there's <laughs> just, nobody well, lobbying for this. If we took <laughs> one person yeah. if we, if we well, if we did, if we did push it back to people who are alive, there would be a lot of music that would fall into the public domain, um, and that would be super interesting. But yeah, they'll be around. Yeah, there's so, other things you could do too. Like you could change the law such that uh, artists artist could not
2: transfer the rights. Mm-hmm. So this is what happens, right? Is you're young and yep. poor and hungry, and I'm like, hey, why don't you sign this thing where I own all your shit? Yep. Right? Like you could just. Those are the sorts of things that maybe you could do that probably still won't happen that would change the dynamic in the
1: industry. Okay, but the other question is way more interesting, which is, what do record labels do that's any good?
0: (laughs) Pointing at Ed.
3: I just can't get over like the VCs arguing against capitalism. It's just too much for me. It's I'm too, arguing against it's, monopolies. Too, it's too much. Monopolies are not capitalism. Monopolies. It's not a monopoly. You can sign with multiple labels. You can sign a deal with an independent label. You can go independent yourself. You can sign a deal with a major label. And you know what? A lot of artists have these opportunities. They know the differences. They are guided by intelligent, thoughtful, reasonable people and they still decide to go with major labels. I know that makes you upset. But that is actually what happens, and there is a marketplace, and they are making that decision.
1: I love you, Ed. It's also not like under any duress. I think there was a period of time where artists probably were under more duress. It was was the sense that if you don't sign with us, you will not make it um, because we're the only people nearby you who could give you a chance. But now, as Ed says, that's that's not the case at all. But
0: VCC label offers, and they're like, that's not fair. You're taking 85% or... No, it's
1: not even that. I mean, look, I mean, I'm interested
2: in hearing more about what labels are doing for artists and I would concede that, like, it's not all uh, extractive and exploitive, right? Like, they are making decisions um, that are good for them, but they're good for them in the context of this industry, right? So my objections are more structural. I think I would concede Ed's point and would like to hear more about, like, what do these labels do for these artists that's so awesome? Let's feel good about them a little bit.
3: Have you been to Target? <laughs> I don't go to Target. Well, you should. Because you know why? When you go to Target, you'll walk in and you'll find a beautiful end cap. It's this beautiful cardboard thing that's like seven feet tall and it's filled with all this different Taylor Swift I stuff. I saw pictures because of Because they that's hit this exclusive expensive. with Taylor. Yeah. And you know what? It actually takes a lot of work to get... Taylor's music and get it turned into, number one, creating the music takes a lot of work, but getting it turned into an end cap. I, mean, I think there's this like lie about the music industry that like Tom York is there like pressing his own t-shirts. <laughs> like it actually, this stuff is a lot of coordination to work. How big are the end caps in a city target versus a target great land? How many products should we be ordering? What should we be making? What should we price these things at? This is just a lot of work and coordination getting it all to the place on the same day. It, it ev- everywhere through the line, especially as you get into these bigger artists. You're looking at hundreds of SKUs per release. You're looking at multinational distribution that all has to be coordinated. I, I don't. It's a, it's a, it's like to me like making the case like what do airlines do? It's like. How is this not obviously incredibly complicated and a lot of work?
2: So what I heard you say there is distribution. <laughs> That's what
1: a label does. F- um, that fiscal distribution is definitely one part of it. I mean, Ed didn't even talk about on the like, uh, release, like Taylor's about the marketing effort, which is crazy.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about assets being pushed through multi different formats. Everything has to be consistent in the same. We're talking about actually manufacturing. Um, products of many different types through many different vendors in many different places that all have to end up at the same place at the same time. You're talking about release schedules across many different uh, distributors, even digitally, right? I mean, you now have to get her Spotify updated. You have to get her artist image updated. I mean, just Spotify alone. You've got to get her artist pics. You have to make sure that you're in sync with the playlist team. There, there is so much coordination and work that goes into these things. Is
0: it worth the money they're getting? Who? Labeled. But Taylor's
3: art. To, to the artists, it clearly seems to be. That's why they keep signing these deals. Yeah,
1: you guys gotta remember too, it's not like these deals are actually for life. We kinda exaggerate and say, but uh an artist like a Taylor Swift does not have to be signed if she doesn't want to be. She she has enough money, probably, to be able to say, you know, well, how if many I would... albums is she doing? Like, what's the deal these days? Well, so this Taylor's is like actually about... a great example
3: of this, because Taylor it, it basically, you know, she's part of big uh, big machine label group, which is uh, an independent ish label that works with the majors because there's a lot of work to be done and they need help getting all this stuff done. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's many different ways that this works that, that end up rolling, you know, Taylor's later in her career. She's able to, I mean, not later in her career, this mean, she's not a developing artist anymore. She's Taylor Swift. Right. She still needs to rely on that infrastructure, those teams to make these things happen there's certain things that she can bring in house like the overall creative coordination the there's a lot of things that she does on her own but you still it's it's network this is a this is a huge product that's going to touch billions of people and it just takes I a, question. a lot of work to get
0: there let's say I'm a huge taylor swift fan let's say you guys are taylor swift fans too i've never given taylor swift a dime have you given her a dime not yeah. that much. let's say for example, like should I should be subscribing for her monthly like how are artists going to make money in the future? Like, how, are they capturing the value that that they're they're creating? I mean, Taylor's on the side
3: of
1: UPS trucks right now. So if you're not <laughs> with UPS, uh, you've been to a T-Swift show, yeah, yeah. you pay a lot of money to go to that sure. show. You would actually be surprised the way that Taylor Swift is making money off of you as well. So Taylor Swift <laughs> has a really big... I mean, she's like Facebook. She has a really big advertising business built around her. And if you go to her concerts, you will watch ads. <laughs> and you say, like, well, I, you know, I paid to get into the show, but you're also like... Hmm. You're only there because I'm going to say a brand. I think it's the right one, but Revlon like wants your attention, right? And and Taylor Swift can give it to to them, right? And so uh, you don't need to pull out your wallet to get Taylor Swift paid. Um, But
0: does Taylor Swift know that I'm you know 28 year old male? The beauty of Taylor Swift's business is
1: that she doesn't actually need to know. And and like this is this is something a lot of people don't know about the music industry or maybe don't think about is. The music industry, historically and still today, for the big stars, is a wholesale business, right? What that means is that there's someone whose job it is to go to you, the customer, there to the the, the retailer. Uh, but Taylor just spends her money uh, advertising to get it out, and then she gets the big checks back in from people whose job it is to to actually give it to your hand, right? So, in in the situation with Target, this deal she has is because Target has paid for it. right Right? and she just collects the checks when she goes on tour like live nation has paid for it she just collects the checks she doesn't need to know who you are now i think in the future uh the music business is going to have to be a lot more retail because there's a lot of parts about it that could be more efficient if you actually knew who the fans were but for the most part the music business like historically is just like you you go sell it wholesale and you make enough money and you just move on with your life
2: I mean, do you think this this structure obviously works for Taylor Swift? I'm curious if you guys think that it um, works for the long tail of artists. Is there a middle the, class? No, I'm it sure. doesn't work yeah. at all. Yeah. 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 So let yeah. me jump in
3: here really quick. Let's be clear about what we're talking about. We're talking about the long tail of artists. This is a tirade I've gone on before, and I will go into it now to make sure that we're all on the same page. <laughs> Which is one of the weird things about music that doesn't happen in other industries is in music, we frequently are talking about different things when we talk about the long tail. Let me give you baseball as an example. The long tail of baseball players is people playing triple A ball that are like the Oklahoma Mudhens, not the guy playing Sunday softball beer league. When we talk about music and we talk about the long tail, we frequently lump hobbyists, people that are not net producers, into the long tail. And I guess I just want to be, I want to make sure we're on the same page when we're talking about long tail, which long tail we're talking about. Because there's a lot of services out there that cater to the long tail of musician that are actually selling things yeah, you know. to net consumers of music. Yeah. Um, a lot of the distributors, you know, I mean, not I mean, I don't I don't mean this by name, but like there's people that are paying for distribute, like, TuneCore, not to blow up TuneCore, because there are people that need TuneCore and use TuneCore, though you should use DistroKid <laughs> instead. Um, <laughs> Bandcamp or whatever. Yeah, they're they, they providing a service to, to hobbyists. That's a, that's a fundamentally different thing than, than the actual long tail, which is uh, a medium-sized band that's regionally touring
1: or whatever. So, But to be clear, I do believe that even for that, so let's just define what you just said as the long tail. so someone who actually could be professional... Uh, I still don't think the wholesale model works for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think something that's tough to sort of think about sometimes is the counterfactual. And so, uh, something I believe to be true is that we, if we had a different regulatory structure, there'd be a lot more people who could be professional, like more minor leagues, less beer leagues, and fewer people making crap tons of money. Right? It seems like the structure affords. We say, "Oh, Taylor Swift, she makes money because of the system." We don't say, "Oh, here's this person over here who's a barista." who actually could be making 50 grand
3: a year and that would, like, kind of be okay for them if they had a different structure. um, Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought up baristas because I think this is one of the, like... To me, this is, like, has echoes of, like, a classic Silicon Valley argument, which is, like... Imagine, imagine a world where everyone eats like bespoke artisan bread, and like the guy down the street that I know that's like making this intense sourdough that's been cultivated since his grandmother in San Francisco eighty five years. Like the world should have that. It's like you know what the world likes Applebee's. You know, like <laughs> Applebee's is actually pretty good. Like the, the, the real world seems to like Applebee's. The said by guy who sells
2: vinyl. You yeah. sell vinyl? Yeah, The I world do. likes low bitrate
3: MP3s. They're listening to this on a low bitrate MP3. So this, rate so this is a different... So I, I this is a... I guess what I would just say is, I think there is a... You should buy merch bar vinyl. Plug right here.
0: Plug Love it. Break.
3: This, this
0: argument brought <laughs> to you by merch
3: bar. Um, no, but I mean, I think that there's... An, I think one of the arguments you get into in the music industry, one of the reasons why people say it doesn't work or it doesn't work like it should is because the music that represents your taste is not the most popular. And that is something that I find very strange given most popular things like hipsters like us in major cities. Like that's not our jam. Like most of the stuff we're talking about that we like is not the mainstream stuff in every other category, but we aren't sitting here being like, man, I'm thinking of a hundred ways to screw Levi's because my other jeans that I get through whoever are like a thousand times better. Like that industry is totally broken. But in music, like people look at Katy Perry and they just don't like Katy Perry. So because they like whatever hipster band from Seattle and they're like morally outraged. You can
2: like them all. We can like Katy Perry and the hipster band from Seattle.
3: But you just want the hipster man to be playing co-headlining with Katy Perry.
2: No, I don't think that's it's right. Fine.
3: I don't think that's right. I think it's, a, it's,
2: it's interesting to think about models that might result in more professional musicians and fewer hundred millionaires. I mean, that's to me interesting because when I think about, like, what kind of policy do we want, what kind of market do we want, I buy into this idea that we should have um, more art, more good art being created. If your point is, look... The only good art are the Taylor Swift's and the Katy Perry's of the world, and your hipster band is just crappy. Okay, maybe. Um, yeah, so
3: you lose me when you say less $100 million artists, because that's a zero sum assumption. Let the people have Katy Perry. If you want to work to help make 10,000 independent, cool artists have a sustainable living, you can do that. And if that's actually I don't something think that you can do that
2: today, that's the problem. The labels won't let you. And here's why because they go to Spotify and say, look, you're free to innovate in any way that you want, but if you figure out a way of making more profit, of creating new interesting business models, we're just going to take that money anyway, so why don't we set your prices, and we'll figure out a price point that works well for us. That's, that, in my mind, is not well-functioning capitalism. Like, it's dumb that Spotify is 10 bucks a month. They should be able to price it lower, and they tried, and the labels wouldn't let them like if they were to price it lower they would get more listeners if they got more listeners there would be more of an audience for this long tail of musicians if there were more of an audience and spotify were motivated to put those people in front of them because they could monetize them better because they could sign direct deals with them you would see a different market and that doesn't happen today because of the way that the labels are able to
3: operate given their catalog okay so that's that's obviously true the world is not fair there. there are these there are big companies that set things up in, in certain ways in their own self-interest. Absolutely, totally true. That said, I do think you are seeing, even in spite of that, these companies do also have to behave in their best interest, which frequently is aligned with overall platforms like Spotify. I mean, the last couple of years, have seen a major shift. I mean, you're just looking at Spotify now with 140 million monthly listeners. They have 60 million subscribers. Last time they announced, I mean, that that ratio of listeners to subscribers is really going up. This is a significant and meaningful and growing amount of income that's going now not just to the major labels, but to independent labels or even independent artists. Spotify is working, I know, because just to shout out Merch Bar, they're working to open up up different revenue channels for musicians as well they're heavily involved in tickets uh, just yesterday they pushed an update to the artist profile page they can pin different things at the top of the artist profile it used to just be one song now it is uh now it's concerts which are localized to your location to help you sell tickets they're selling tons of tickets and tons of merch and this is something that is something that's working for artists across the spectrum it is important to them. I know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for them, but as a partner of theirs, we work across a range of artists, from people that have 10,000 monthly listeners to people that have 100 million monthly listeners and everyone in between. So I, I think that, like, your argument is, is fair in some ways, and it's definitely correct that the labels are going to try to set things up in their own way for them to win, but not... They, they aren't doing that in a vacuum, and what's been especially interesting over the last few years is they've actually done that in a world where there's actually someone that has some – not leverage against them, but is competing on a, on a kind of different way and is looking to do different things and some of the things that you want to do. So I think a lot of the things that you're saying, like, well, imagine this happening, I think a lot of it is happening right now, That's and it, it's and, – and all directions are pointing that it's going to keep going.
0: In the next five to ten years, what's going to change? in terms of the what the status quo is right now in the music industry?
3: Well, I'll tell you right now. Labels are already being seen as good businesses again. They will be seen as much better. Everyone, the, the, the numbers for streaming it's are just streaming getting started. They're, yeah. they're, if we're this, talking about yeah. revenue, we've got a long way to go here. I think most people are undervaluing um, how far that is. And I think you're going to see additional, I think you're going to see things pick up in line with that, whether it's ticket sales, merchandise, physical um, physical media, it all kind of is going to ride this wave together because it, it, through the early 2000s, there was major, uh, not consolidation, it was sort of looking for, like just cutting of the, the budgets and the teams yep. that do all this work to make these things happen. Now the labels are making more money, they're profitable, and they're growing. Universal Music Group is going to grow like 25% year over year. That's, like, not even including the special payout that they got last year. I mean, it is, like, it's a good business. It's getting better, and I think it's just getting started. Is that just, you, you
2: seem to mention not just streaming revenue, which is definitely going up, but these, these other revenue streams. You think that the more streaming revenue is going to be good for merch and some of these other ticketing? Like, are more people going to shows, or it's just like, oh, crap, we're, we forgot how to download things illegally,
3: and now we have to pay for streaming. I guess they will make some more money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those two things are happening. I think you're right that I don't think they're necessarily tied together. I think as maybe incorrectly lumping them. As, uh, I don't think growth in merchandise is directly, you know, yeah. due to growth in streaming. But I think the overall music industry has several factors that are that are pushing, you know, that have wins at their back.
1: On the other hand, in music tech, we have a really interesting situation because we have a few companies that are in, like, really uh, kind of dire straits in terms of,
0: Pandora, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, maybe I'll hold off Spotify for a half second just to comment <laughs> on how, how rough the situation is uh, for SoundCloud and, and yeah. also for Pandora. I mean, uh, SoundCloud is in a situation where they, they've really, last I heard, I don't know this for certain, but last I heard, they have a subscription business that essentially is not big enough to merit like having it around, but they've signed agreements that say they have to pay for it anyway. And that that's a killer place to be. They've got, um, you know, after all these cuts, they still have pretty massive burn. And they, they just have, they got to very quickly find an awesome business. Maybe it's going back to what they used to do before, which was selling, you know, these subscriptions to the creators themselves. Um, maybe it's going a little bit harder in, in terms of advertising stuff, but I don't know if they have the staff to pull that off. Um, so those guys are, those guys are in a really tough situation and, and you know, a lot of people are heading out the door there if they weren't asked to leave already. Um, Pandora is, you know, it's a public company, obviously. So it's in a little better situation, but I think, you know, Pandora's stock has been falling just precipitously, precipitously. Um, And uh, yeah, both of those companies I think are at, at, I mean, I wouldn't even, I would, I wouldn't even give them even odds of (laughs) being around as independent companies in, in five years. Um, I mean, not to say those services won't be around. I think they're, I think there's, there's a, it would be really sad not to have a Pandora, it would be really sad not to have a, a SoundCloud, but those companies being acquired by kind of financially more secure companies seems like high probability to me. Um, so yeah, the third that you mentioned, Spotify. Parker mentioned earlier, Spotify is, has, has a pretty, I mean, the, the business model may never turn a profit by, by some people's measures. Uh, but at least that. <laughs> what measures would those be? You know, dollars can't and take, cents. Dollars and minutes. cents. Yeah. I, I, I mean I don't know. I that think maybe the maybe they get there, maybe they don't. But at least those guys are in a in a situation where they're not financially on on the precipice. Uh, it looks like they're going to be able to do their direct offering IPO sometime in the next year or so. And uh, actually, to Ed's point, uh, some of that money is going to go to the major labels, and that's going to that's going to really pad their kind of bottom line. Um, and I think in the end, like these, these music tech companies do have to, there's going to be some reckoning. There's going to be some moment where we have to come to terms with the fact that even when the music business is growing, the music tech business seems like it's like right there on the edge. That's something that seems unsustainable. Um, and maybe, maybe the solution is, Hey, this is a loss leader for Apple. It's a loss leader for Amazon. This is a loss leader for Google. Is that a good
2: thing? Is that a good world if we're living in that world?
1: Well, this is to Ed's point about uh, if I go against that, then I have to go against capitalism, which I do like (laughs) to go against. And I do think to a certain degree, those companies are a little more, um, they're they're like integrated in a way that I don't really love. They're becoming conglomerates in some ways. And and, uh, uh, that's not so cool. But maybe it's just the way that that the world has to be that this music is valuable. But not so valuable that you can build a high-margin business off of it alone. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think
3: that when you look at the, the Google's, Amazon's – I mean, let's just say Amazon. Because like, like, Google, I think, has some aspirations to, be, to build, like, a legit Spotify competitor streaming business, right? And, and YouTube obviously is interested in doing that. Amazon, it's feeding the Amazon machine. There is no, like – there's no joke here that, like, this is all about Amazon Prime because everything is about Amazon Prime. Like, this is what Amazon does. I think the music industry, from conversations I've had, is very aware of this and is very disinterested in that. They're not so sort of disinterested that they're not going to take a check, but I don't think you're going to see wholesale like consolidation and like rallying behind supporting an Amazon service the way that you see them doing that with Spotify or even Apple. Um, because they don't want to be a loss leader, right? And this actually is an argument for the labels. If you think of the labels as almost like a union of artists, or at least a, rep- a group that is representing many artists, this is one of the only ways you could actually get leverage against an Amazon or against someone that is trying to drive prices down and you sell your music or give your music away for free in order to sell someone no, that's not a monthly subscription to toilet paper.
2: I don't think that's what they're doing, right? Because the prices are still controlled by the labels. So it's not that it's not that Amazon is saying, let's drive down the prices. Because that's, by the way, exactly what Spotify was trying to do, right? It was like, let's price this thing lower and lower. So everybody wants lower
1: prices because you just make more money and you get more consumers, right? It's not um, totally not true. Well, for the record, uh, the, the record labels don't really control the prices. They just dictate their terms and they say yes or no. And there is negotiation. Amazon has a service now... If you subscribe through the the Alexa, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's I think it's three ninety nine a month for that kind of limited endpoint. The only way you can listen is through this yeah. device, but but like that, and the and the labels were cool with it, right? On the other side, although Spotify's like headline price is nine ninety nine a month uh, per the per uh, subscriber price is actually quite low now. I think it's sub six dollars yeah. in aggregate, and that's a combination of one people turning on and off the service. Um, which is a big part of it probably, but two, um, they've got all sorts of educational discounts, uh, multiple people on family plans, uh, plans that are tied to cell phone services worldwide, uh, not so much in the United States. Uh, but all of these things kind of get to your point, which is like, if we can push this per subscriber revenue down, we get more. And that's clearly true. Like they've never had more subscribers and I think it is in large part because they aren't charging nine ninety nine dollars per month. Um, it's just like, yeah, it would be nice if they could change the headline price. I think doing that is something that the major labels are not super interested in them doing uh, and they do have this big hammer of like, we'll take a the catalog. My, my question is,
0: Who's
3: we, why is, why
1: are we assuming that's what Spotify wants to do? Spotify's gone from, I mean, they've almost
3: doubled their number of subscribers in the last two years. I think that there has been some public reporting
2: on their desire to price the product lower. Uh, I don't know, people can Google that out there and go look it up. Okay.
0: The, um, how, the music industry is growing. How much of that is going or is going to go to incumbents versus for, for versus upstarts? And so, let me. Are you talking about the label
2: yeah, industry? Label. because there's
0: label and yes. then there's tech, right? Yes, uh, both. <laughs> um, and I'll start with labels. A lot of people like to compare, or a lot of so the Valley people like to say it's you know labels are like VCs. So I'm curious, one, just how you think they're you know, if that's a flawed. Analogy And two, we were looking at this company Indify the other day, which is trying to be angelist for VCs. They believe in uh, a middle class for artists, and they believe that artists should be able to crowdfund uh, or to raise money directly from, from fans. So I'm curious how you guys think about that idea. Um, and just broadly, like, will there be an angelist for music, a Mattermark, a YC? Like, where do these comparisons uh, break
1: down? So I like the comparison in general. I think the thing that's shared is they're kind of hits-based businesses. If you're not participating in the biggest ones, then yep. you're, you're not going to make your fund, as it were. Uh, for record labels in particular, um, the multiples are not nearly as high as for tech. You can, you can have a 1,000x or a 10,000x on one of your investments, and in music, those are very few and far between. Mm-hmm. And if you find one of them, say like a Michael Jackson, uh, you typically actually don't get that over the lifetime of their productive work, right? So, um that's kind of where the comparison falls off. And, you know, I'll let Parker talk about how the economics can matter. But if the best you can get is a 2X, like, who, who do you have to invest in, right? And that's, that's how the major labels kind of think it's about it in the variety. end.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but uh, in terms of, like, the revenue, it's actually really interesting. A lot of people don't know. About a third of the revenue in, in the industry goes to, in aggregate, all the indie labels. So if, if the indies were together, they would be a major. Hmm. Um, and so the the payout structure is actually uh, more flat than people know. I don't think the the like in terms of you know fund size, the bottom third of or, or sorry, it's not a third. Really. There's I guess there's a lot of indie labels, but the the bottom third of the revenue that comes in or the earnings or the 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 ultimate profit for VCs does not go to the people who are outside of the top few, right? right? So it's like, it's it's pretty flat, and I think the reason why it's flat is because the, the returns are not crazy, like, right. so high multiple. Right. I mean, another
2: another uh, part of that analogy I'd be interested to hear you speak to is, like, the interesting thing about VC is, like, VCs never get as rich as the founders of the companies they fund, right? Like, the yep. economics are just such that the founders of the best companies take all the money, and it seems like that's not... True, like, the labels are very profitable. The best artists make a bunch of money, but the, the actual uh,
3: labels still make a bunch more money. Sorry, right? quick not-the-VC reality check. <laughs> I think you're definitely right on the winners. On medium and lower outcomes, there are frequently times that VCs crush founders. <laughs> Fair <laughs> points of <laughs> doing better. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: there you go. Well, I mean, in the, in the, in the worst cases in... In music, actually, a lot of bands come out ahead because you'll get an advance, and then you never recoup, right? So yeah, That's true with companies, too, right? We yeah. lose most of our money investing in investing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think there's probably like uh, a lot you of see, artists... The founders are...
3: aren't doing world doers. <laughs> like, I'm just I'm sitting typing <laughs> all day. I didn't get to go on no,
1: yeah, like, That was what I was going
3: to say. <laughs> I, I see
2: you
1: Instagramming out there, and I want
3: you at your desk. <laughs> no, that's my wife. I just follow her right? around. Yeah,
1: no, not... So, so yeah, but it but brings up a great point, which I'll say a little more... Uh, uh, directly which is for most of these artists their compensation is not cash if you fi- i mean if you find an artist who's like yeah man just get me paid i don't care about this music thing it's like i want to meet them because i actually would love to do business with that person like they just artists are artists they really want to do this art thing and um on the maslow's hierarchy it's like like make the music then like get heard and then get heard in a big way and like the money-making part is if it, You're saying we there. don't need copyright at all to make Taylor Swift make albums. I nope. think we're done. Full circle. We're done. <laughs> well, the money is for the other stuff, right? Like <laughs> some, someone needs to make the money because things cost money, right? right? And that's that's the that's the beauty of the relationship that artists have with the music business, however it's shaped, whether it's with their managers and their their – lawyers or whether it's with like major labels they may or may not be signed to is someone makes the money and 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 has to help them do a lot of this stuff and they get to make the art and when you ask a question like uh how how does an entrepreneur get paid versus how does a vc get paid well it's a simple question because they're both kind of like paid by money but in the artist versus the label sense it's like well you know the artist gets the fame and they get the world tour and they they get their art out to the world and that's amazing and maybe like invaluable and all the label gets is like a dumb like ten million dollars you know right I, I won't go deep into it but I just want to be on record as saying that's not entirely true which part I said so much <laughs>
3: that that artists don't care about being paid
1: I do think artists I mean I'm exaggerating for effect but I,
3: I, I would I would go further than just not exaggerating. <laughs> I think there's a significant number of artists that care about being paid.
0: But as he's talking about, I think partially what he's talking about is that he's talked to a lot of artists that said, "Hey, instead of getting a huge advance up front, how about you get to keep most of your you yeah. know, equity in, in your work over a long term?" Does it now nah, just give me the advance? Oh, I
3: think, let, let me jump in on this really quick, um, which I think is one of the things. So one of the things that's hard about the music industry to understand from outside, you know, the music industry is very opaque, right? Before you're in the industry, it's very hard. It's not like tech where someone's like. Written like the definitive blog post around email introductions, and like a book around like how things actually work here. Like that does that doesn't exist really in
0: music. Is that going to
3: change? And by it, the way, not? there's a lot of people that are out there that are selling you that that have no idea what's actually going on. So be very careful about that. Um, but I think that one of the things about the music industry that is unique in the in the way that it works, and one of the reasons why it works the way it does, is because of the incentives that are set up. With artists and their managers and their lawyers and the, and the way that te- these teams work, I don't mean to call out artists, managers, or lawyers in particular, but there's a lot of relationships that are based on a share of cash that comes in the door during your relationship. So let's say, Eric, you're a rapper and I'm your
0: manager. Let's say, good. I get
3: 10% of the cash that comes in the door while I'm your manager, and I could get fired tomorrow. So let's say you're like blowing up on the next big, you know. Let's say you're a huge influencer on uh, what is Camillionaire? What's Cam's um, startup? Combos. Yes. Let's say you're a huge influencer on Combos, and Cam comes to us. They've just raised ten million dollars. Hypothetical story. I'm not outing their their raise. They're crushing it. But let's say Cam comes to you. They've just raised ten million dollars, and they're like at a hundred million dollar valuation. They're like, Eric, we will give you a point in the company. And as your manager, I'm like, no. I want $100,000, right? Like the incentive structure of management or or just the the way that things are set up is to be short-term and cash-focused. And that ends up creating decisions that reverberate through the entire industry forever. And when you're an early artist in your career and someone's making a deal for you and they are biased towards compensation for short-term cash, they are going to have a different set of goals than you may be in terms of, of a long-term
0: career. So what's the change about that structure?
3: You know, honestly, I'm not sure because I don't know what level of, like, sophistication um, artists, like, we can really expect artists
1: to have on their own because we, we're talking about the artist,
3: like, not against, but, like,
1: their deal with their manager. like, I'm like not with their lawyer, right? This is, like, right. the most complicated thing. It's, like, how do you sign a deal with a lawyer that's fair Without a lawyer to help you, like negotiate, it. <laughs> right? So how do you uh, get your first
2: hey lawyer? You know, it's like founders have this problem as well, right? Like you're starting out. You, you, I mean, there's a little bit, maybe more structure in, in some of these early stage deals these days, but uh, you know, you don't know, right? So maybe you got a book. What's the book, safe? For I mean, are you problem? guys have all been through this, right? Like yeah. where you're trying to figure out the industry and figure yeah. out how it works, and um, always the VC knows more than you because it's their whole job. Um, the one, the one actually. Uh, Parallel that I would draw between artists, based on your point, Esten, was um, I think in the way that artists, you know, are motivated to create their art because it would be irrational to say I want to make a lot of money. Let me go into music, right? The same is true of entrepreneurship. It's just like a dumb thing to do if your goal is to maximize your risk-adjusted return long term, right? So, like, I think that both of these things are um, both of these are industries where anyone who's doing it for the cash almost necessarily sucks, right? It's, you've got to be irrational. but I think that that should inform how we think about the industry. So, for example, like, when we say, we need low capital gains taxes to incentivize people to start companies, it's like, no, like, Sergey Brand is not sitting there going, like, what am I going to be taxed on when I exit this thing, right? And, like, The weekend isn't sitting there going, like, how am I going to make as much money as possible, right? Uh, Maybe he's thinking about other stuff, he's going to make some music and the girls will like me or whatever, but... It just
3: has nothing to they do. with <laughs> yeah, like it. They They like it a lot. <laughs> they
2: do. The label well, is doing great. Right so is, <laughs> is
0: the money is, of the growing music industry going to incumbents on the label side and on the tech side? Like, where is the opportunity in music in this burgeoning?
1: For revenue? You or take or the, the label side, side, I'll take the tech
0: side. Revenue or
1: profit? Profit. Or just put your investor hat on. Where I, are you investing I, in music? I mean, in the next five I, year, I years don't out. know. This, this is like a deep bias of mine, but I do think that profit will tend to collect towards the people who make the art and, and or the people who own their copyrights. I think, like, fundamentally... Those are different, different things, though. Those are two different things. They're, they're they pretty overlap. overlap. But there's they, a, there's they, a big
0: three. Will there be a big four? Will there be... Like, will new... You know, I was I was at Indify, which is Angelus for Artists, and at someone at one of the big three, they're like, well, we're about to create the A16Z for for, for Artists. And I'm like, will these... We're, we're doing like for... Yeah, uh,
1: right. yeah for tech. Well, what I'm saying is, if you are building a business where you are... Some percentage of uh what what the artist is making, I think you're on the side of the business that is likely to be able to profit is is what I would say broadly and if you are on the side of the business that um, looks more like a pass through of, of money at retail, I think it's tougher to get to get your margins and so I think like you know an example of the former would be a, of like kind of the hot shot companies. The former would be like a cobalt right. Okay. Uh, they they are on the side of the artist, and like they they are building catalog. And on the other side would be you know like a Spotify, where it, if they don't start making these investments, they're gonna they're gonna be in a in a regime where they can't really get profit, but they are gonna have a lot of revenue. Right. And revenue is mm-hmm. not nothing, right? And it and it sets up a world in which like even if the profit margins aren't great, you can still like take home a lot of dollars.
0: Will there be a major competitor
1: to to UMG and the others? I mean, I think almost Same certainly. I think, I think almost certainly. I think Cobalt is the closest right now. Um, I'm a little biased, but the company I'm working for now, United right. Masters, I think there's, we're, not, we're not really trying to compete with major labels, but there's a world in which we are, we are trying to be alongside the artists, and we're trying to be alongside artists uh, who, who don't take that path, right? And you know, Indie Five could be another, right? Um, but if you're building a company that is, you're alongside the artists and you want them to win... I think you have a much better shot Uh, outside of the recorded music business. So this is the thing about music: is we just rounded off. But outside of recordings, I think um, you're going to continue to have companies like Ticketmaster uh, and Live Nation, these ticketing companies, these promotion companies, who are sort of on the side of the artists in terms of how they how they share the revenue, that are going to still do well. And then, of course, companies like Merch Bar. where you are selling something and you're mediating this relationship between the artist and the fan um, that are going to do well. But I think the toughest part is always going to be uh, the further you are from the artist, the harder it's going to be for you to really hold that money.
2: I think that's a really, like, that's a really feel-good, warm spin on it. I would say the further you are from the government-granted monopoly, uh, the harder it's going to be to make money, Um, which is why I think, I mean, I agree with the conclusion, right? When you look at these technology companies, right, that are really at the mercy of that system, Um, it's very much a wasteland, right? So the opportunities in venture are very few. You know, you have something like Merch Bar, Which actually, by the way, I mean, these guys have gone out and created these relationships. They've done a bunch of hard work to go and build a business that's very hard to copy. Um, And very little of that is technology. I mean, they're better at technology than anybody in the space, right? So they've done the technology well. But um, you as a technologist would look at this thing and say, okay, like I could do that. What you can't do in their business is all the relationships that they built and all that stuff, right? Right. You do have these businesses that Ed mentioned that are like serving this long tail of artists. So like one of um, like my better music investments, I have very few, but aside from Merch Bar, um, I have this company Soundbetter, that's basically like built a marketplace for helping artists make their music sound good so you, record it in yep. your basement, but to get it ready to go on Spotify, you actually have to pay some service providers. That actually turns out to be a really good business. Um, but that's just as I would say, just capitalism, right? Here's yep. somebody that wants to buy a service. I can sell a service. Nobody's telling me I can't do that. That kind of thing works. Yep. We'll see if those end up being big businesses. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I think for these broad consumer products, what kind of bums me out about this market is I just don't expect there to be 10 more Spotify's because it's just a crappy business. And what I would like as a music fan, as a music consumer, is for there to be a lot of innovation there, and I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening over right. the next 10 or 15 years. I don't see any of this changing, right? So that's kind of a bummer. I think you kind of stuck with Amazon, Google, Apple, and maybe Spotify. And you're kind of like, okay, well, that's the world we're in.
0: So it's like healthcare without the trillion dollar opportunity.
2: Uh, yeah, and it can't cure cancer. So. Right. Aston maybe, maybe
0: um, has waited an hour to mention the startup he's been working on the last year oh, and a half. Uh, United Masters. Tell us about it. Uh, and then Park on a critique widely.
1: Critique. Well, yeah, I'm setting uh, myself up for <laughs> pitch. present. Pitch. No, so I'm super excited. We just launched. Raised uh, seventy million dollars last week. Yeah, so we announced the the funding. So, uh, little context before I get into the company itself. So, the founder Steve Stout is an old school music head. Um, came up in 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 the '80s and '90s and uh, ended up running uh, urban music at Sony. among other places, and then left the music industry actually at the perfect time, and basically around 2000 at the peak, um, to go into ads and built a a boutique ad firm called Translation Translation in New York. Um, They've done a lot of really great work. Uh, My favorite of their their work is they they facilitated the commission to Pharrell and Justin Timberlake of the uh, McDonald's McDonald's theme uh, as part of an ad campaign for uh, Introducing I'm Loving It. And so, you know, coming off of that, I think uh, if you look up Steve's Doubt, even if you don't know him, you'll be amazed by uh, how legit he is. Yep. And, uh, and so he, he's, he's really a really critical piece of why this thing even exists. Uh, and then, yeah, with the $70 million round, uh, the folks who are in it are folks like Alphabet, um, which is great, and uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz and uh, some other notable names as well. And uh, you say, how does how does a person that legit and how do like investors that legit come into this thing? And I think the answer is ultimately we have this huge vision. And the vision is ultimately like what parts of this music industry can you remake if you were going to start from today? So, I mean, start with the technology we have, start with the cultural context we have and build something new that actually helps artists. And so what we are is an artist services company. And that's a very generic term, I think. Um, and it's intentionally not label uh to be clear. Um but there's a lot of things out there that artists need help with. And if you can facilitate those things, you've got a valuable company.
0: To make a return to your investors that they'd be really excited about, you basically have to be as big as UMG. I mean you have to be Yeah, I mean I think so. I mean I think
1: I think you don't have to be quite as big as UMG if you structure the right way because the part part of our pitch is look, we are technologists, right? So this company is a technology company which means that we're going to get margins that company, these, these major labels, they're people, right? Their right. assets walk out of the door every day. Nothing's wrong with that. You can build great businesses that way. But just to say that as a technology company, we think there are parts of, of what get done that can be automated, and that's going to give us better return. But also, um, it opens up this really interesting opportunity, which is, yes, you can compete in the end with like the UMGs or, or what have you, But in the meantime, we we can also be working with all of these artists, your long tail and your uber long tail, even like your hobbyists, right? And you can give them the same technology, right? So we're building a suite of tools, essentially, I would say, and services um, that we're going to make available to the wide spectrum of artists. And some some artists are going to get, you know, more out of it than others because they're further along in their careers. Um, Some artists are going to get more automation, uh, than, than other artists do because it's like, well, if you're just new to Spotify, uh, maybe you have zero streams, right? right? So there's only, there's only so much a human can help you with, right? But, um, but yeah, our, our goal ultimately is to, is to build the entire suite of tools that an artist is going to use to build their career in this new environment. Now, the parts of it that, like I think I will, I will just admit, I think we're never going to really be great on. We're never going to be great on physical distribution, um, we're just not going to get your CDs into Target, right? And we're, and we're probably, like to some degree, we're never going to be great at like the, the thing that major labels do, which is they can take someone who you've never heard of and make them overnight a celebrity, right? Like nobody knows who Stephanie Germanata is, but everyone knows who Lady Gaga is. And that's a major label's doing, right? Um, but that said, I, I think there, there's still a lot of stuff that you can do as an upstart. And $70 million is a lot of money, but in the music industry, it's not a lot of money. Um, so as like a smaller upstart in the music industry to, to um, help artists grow their careers. And again, like we are right next to the artist in terms of how we're going to how we're going like, to profit from this. Right. Yeah. So today we charge nothing for the tools. Uh, tomorrow we're probably charging nothing for the tools. And and the way that we want to succeed long term, at least, is to uh, only make money when the artists make money and to do it in a way that is is fair. And also to do it in a way, ideally, where the artists still end up owning their copyrights. Yeah. As long as copyrights are around. Like, so you guys, aren't, you guys aren't building a catalog. No. We, I mean, that, money's, that money is for, for building a technology company and, and uh artist services company and not for buying up old records.
2: And when you guys think about, uh, like, I'm an artist. I'm coming up. I like got. I put my things on YouTube, and they seem to be doing okay. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I build my business? How do I get big? Mm-hmm. Is the idea that before I would have to go find maybe a, like a local label, indie label, whatever, and now I'm going to work with them and you? Am I going to work with you, not them? Like, how does this kind of work?
1: Yeah. So I mean, in in a, in a lot of ways, what we're trying to do is facilitate this this kind of better use of the word independence. So independence in the music industry typically just means not signed to a major, um, which is, you know, I mean, that's that's a, a real thing, but it's a very narrow version of independence. Like real independence is the ability to like make your own decisions, right? Uh, and totally so... copyright, I feel like, is a great... <laughs> well, that too. But, but so, so the answer is a lot of the artists who have already signed up for our service already have engaged with labels, small and large, um, and for, for a lot of them, we're going to be complimentary, right? We're going we're gonna to offer things that the label doesn't offer, or we're going to offer it in a way that's, like, a little more user-friendly or a little bit more efficient. Uh, and for other artists, they're going to say, you know what? I guess, like, maybe I don't need to be out chasing, like, a and from, from Epic, right? Like, maybe I'm cool to just, like, be at home, work on my art, and work on building my business with this tool set. So I, I don't think we have a really strong stance about, hey, we want to, like, steal people, Per se, but I think I think we're trying to build again a suite of tools that's going to be. But you're going to help me build audience, build marketing. Exactly, you know, exactly. That's, that's really interesting because I feel like that is actually
2: an area to at earlier points where labels obviously provide value, right? Like putting you in the target gets you some eyeballs, or putting you on
1: the radio gets you some fans. Exactly. So the thing about media, which is really interesting, is you know the standard startup thing is you know what's your problem and what's your solution, mm-hmm. and like in media the the problem and solution are kind of one and the same, which is like, I made a song, right. Um, and like people really need songs, like songs can change your life, but it's to say that, um, you know, there's not that same need as like, I need an accountant or I need mm-hmm. like, you know, I need uh, a, a service to make my GIFs 15% smaller, right. right. There's like a need and then there's like the other needs. And yep. so um, when you think about these media businesses, ultimately a lot of your success is on your ability to get people's attention not just like the thing that you made because it's not just about like, well, I need a hole, a hole needs to be filled. Like I want sound to go into my ears. It's like, you know, so, so marketing is a big deal. And I think that's, that's ultimately like, uh, one of the easiest ways to pitch a a major label is like, Hey, can you market without them? And for most artists, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. I think what we, what we're trying to change about that is like, there are ways to automate lots of, lots of marketing. I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, Um, but you know just as a small example a lot of artists if you're going to do it yourself you ought to kind of know who your fans are Uh, and a lot of artists don't and uh, again not to get too far in the weeds but you can imagine like a campaign which is built specifically for learning who your fans are right? Mm and it could be something simple like I'll give away a t-shirt right and in order to get entered into this giveaway you have to give me your email address but now that I have your email address there's all sorts of really cool stuff I can do. For example, I can send you a newsletter. And when, when you come and click on something in the newsletter, now I know you're like really interested in me, right? Not just a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Or I can uh, run that up against the sales list for this Eventbrite that I ran. And now I know like, who, who my fans are who actually spent money on me, right? You start to build these profiles of, of these artists. And uh, this is stuff you can do now with existing tools, but no one thus far has brought these tools directly to artists in a context that they're going to use them. And we've already run a number of campaigns with artists manually, and now starting to do an automated fashion uh, built around like that exact idea. And there's a ton more, but yeah, the the marketing stuff super important. Uh, a really big part of our toolkit that we're building. Cool. Cool. Uh,
0: this has been a f- fantastic episode, guys. Any last words to people out there who are looking to build businesses in the music space, whether it's on the music side or whether it's on the technology side? And those last words could be look somewhere else. <laughs> Ed,
3: what are you? What Ed is you, the reigning business yeah. owner. <laughs> don't use
1: blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to second that. Yeah. Get, don't <laughs> use blockchain. Full circle. Yeah. Also, I think that if if I had like one recommendation uh, for folks starting the music business, it's you know be just be really uh, specific at the start about what your what your business model is and and where you think you're getting your value from because I think it's really easy to just say, well, I make this because it. It feels like something that artists are going to love and then you realize like, oh, the artists I'm selling to don't have money, right? And I need to, you know, I need a huge audience for this or, um, you know, the major labels are going to keep you from starting your streaming service, even though it feels like it should be free, but no, they're going to like actually sue you, right? And uh, there was a time period where you didn't have to know these things. I think now you have to know these things before you start and you can know them because there's lots of examples. Cool. Yeah, I think there's actually one thing
3: I would actually give as, as advice, which um, is which I think there's one thing that kills music startups uh, more than any other other than it just being a horrible idea, which is 98%. But those 2% that are left get killed typically by becoming an agency. I've seen a lot of people that tried to build music startups start working with one artist and that relationship ends up becoming they do whatever for that artist. And the product ends up not becoming a platform or a tool or a whatever the original idea was. It ends up becoming a website for that artist. And I think that there's obviously a balance here because big artists can change the trajectory of your company for sure. Um, but I would encourage like, people in the space to just be like, really thoughtful about what they're doing and what the trade offs are. Um, because I've definitely seen that um,
2: kill some companies. I mean, that's great startup advice in general. I mean, you see that with like the big enterprise customer. You get a customer, and you confuse what you're building—that's your product—and what you're building—that's just for that person. Yeah. Uh, everybody should take that advice. Take Ed's advice.
0: Take Ed's advice. Cool. Thanks, guys.
2: That's what I do in my personal life as well. <laughs> take Ed's advice. What would
0: Ed do? Awesome. Thank you, guys. It's been great. So I'm here on the Village Podcast. When are we starting? Yes. I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself for like 30 seconds though. Sounds good?
3: No, why? You just said you were going to introduce us. With
0: uh, my friends Aston Motes, Parker Thompson, and Ed Ayton.
3: I am lasting